I want you to hear this today as we talk about continued prayer. Last week, we talked about praying for the church itself and praying that we would abound in love and that we would grow in holiness. Today, I want to focus us just a bit more on prayer, not just within the church family, but certainly the church family itself as we think about the broken in our midst. James is writing the half-brother of Jesus, encouraging those early believers to live out their faith, to work out their faith. And as he is writing to them, he speaks specifically about prayer. He talks about how they are to celebrate life together, but yes, they are to pray when there is that, when that area of brokenness comes. I want you to hear this today. James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. He asks this question. He says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. The Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now, James speaks about how we share a common experience, how together we come to recognize the difficulties and the joys that we experience together. Notice what he says in verse 13. He says, is anyone among you suffering? The idea is that you have been pressed in. O.S. Hawkins, I wrote this down. O.S. Hawkins said that this word means to suffer the evil blows from the outside world. So think of this. James writes and he says, hey, when you're coming together, is there anybody there that would experience these outward blows, that would experience the blows from this world, that would be pressed in? Have you experienced that? He said, if so, let him pray. Let him pray. And then he says, hey, how about those among you who are cheerful? Let me stop a moment. Anybody cheerful here this morning? I know sometimes the face can uh, betray us. But we're cheerful this morning. He said, if you are cheerful, if you have joy, if you have contentment, let him sing psalms. Literally, what that word means is to pluck a stringed instrument. In other words, to make a melody, to sing to, to, to come before God in praise. So if you're cheerful, he says, praise the Lord. I love the way Martin Luther captured this. I, I'm going to move on into the idea of brokenness. But just for a moment, those of us who are cheerful and singing, I want, to, I want to remind you of what Martin Luther said about this idea of praise and worship. He said, the devil is a sad spirit and makes folks sad. Hence, he cannot bear cheerfulness. And therefore gets as far off from music as possible. And never stays where men are singing, especially when they're singing spiritual songs. 
I like that. Think about it, Jeremy, Chris, those of you who lead us, you're in a sense helping us to dispel the presence of Satan himself, right? Because he can't stand the worshiping people of God. It is the Lord who inhabits the praise of his people. So he says, if you're cheerful, he said, give a praise to God. Again, James says, within the church context, you're going to experience those moments where you can relate to one another in suffering or being pressed in. You are going to be able to relate to one another when you're cheerful and you sing together. He said, that is the church. That is the people of God coming together. But honestly, as you look at this passage, while James notes the cheerfulness that we can have, overall, he is emphasizing the brokenness of different individuals within the congregation. So let me say this as we work through this, as we talk about praying for the broken. I think for us, we have to see the broken in our midst. We have to recognize that there are those who are broken in our midst. Here with us in this sanctuary or there in the gathering, they're within our community, they're within our faith family, maybe they're not able to come this morning, but there are those who are living lives of brokenness. Again, the emphasis here is on brokenness. That verse 13 speaks about suffering or being pressed in, as I noted. Look in verse 14. He said, is anyone among you sick? Literally what that word sick means is weak or without strength. So is there anybody there within your congregation that just feels weak, without strength? In verse 15, the word sick is used again, but it's a different word in the original language. It may be the same in English, but it is different in the original language. In the original language, that word there means something like weary. So is anyone among you without strength or weak? And if so, the prayer somehow will help those who have been wearied. So while I believe that this passage will speak to us about the physical issues we have, I want you to see even the words themselves give us this openness to all brokenness, to recognize that there are physical issues, there are spiritual issues, there are emotional issues, there are relational issues, there are financial issues. And that we come with all of those things and we come with that sense of brokenness together as a people. We are broken. And we experience brokenness as a corporate body, as a people ourselves. We live in a broken world and thus we ourselves are broken people. You know, a moment ago I said, how many of you are cheerful? And several of you raised your hands. Those who were actually awake this morning, I think you raised your hands. But I can also ask today, and you don't have to, I don't want you to, but I can also ask you today to raise your hand if you've experienced some type of brokenness this week. If you've experienced something of being pressed in by this world this week. 
Or maybe you've been weary. Maybe you feel without strength that you are weak. Or maybe it is a physical issue that you or your family have been facing. I would say to you that as we come together, there are many of us that have experienced that type of brokenness. And if we haven't this week, it may be coming to us this coming week. I'm not trying to take away your cheerfulness. I just want you to know that we live in a broken world. And because of that, we're going to experience brokenness. And when we come together as a people, we are broken. You say, Brother Reggie, you don't, you don't have to just tell me that. I know that. We experience that. No, I think sometimes we need to see it as a church and as a people. I think the community that we live in, they need to understand that this place and these people, all of us, we are broken people. I can't tell you how often I've heard somebody outside the walls of the church, whether it be here in in Ruston or back in Zachary or over in Picayune, wherever I've pastored, I've heard people from the community say things like, well, you know, I can't can't necessarily go there on Sunday. I'm not up to par as those people are. You know, those people, they've got it together. I've got to get some things together in my life before I can come. And, 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 and be a part of that church. And I'm going to tell you, I want to scream. I want to say, no, no. We, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we haven't got it together, but God's got it together. We're not the ones who are perfect. We're we're nowhere close to being perfect. But our Lord was perfect and he's working in our lives. He's working within us to give us strength each day. And we're all on a journey because all of us experience the brokenness of this world. Oh, look, I'm ready to have it all together. I'm ready to be in the presence of Christ himself. I'm ready to be in a paradise. I'm ready to be in a heaven where we've got it together because he has transformed us totally. But until then, we are broken. And we will experience suffering. We will see sickness. We will see weariness. We will have moments where we are without strength. We need to see it once again that there's brokenness within the body of Christ. Because of what sin has done to us. There's pain of what sin continues to do. Look. I am so grateful that when Jesus Christ came into my life and saved me, that he gave me the power over sin, death, hell, and the grave. I am thankful. But until I get to heaven, sin still remains a nuisance in my life. It still comes against us. It still tries to trap us. And because we live in a fallen world, We see these things like sickness and death all around us. Jesus himself, when he was living here, even though he had never sinned and he never did throughout his earthly ministry, he is totally holy and morally pure. But even Jesus, when he looked upon the tomb of Lazarus, he wept. He was broken over what sin had done 
what it had accomplished by bringing death itself and how Lazarus had died. He was broken. We're broken. There are days our hearts are so weary. James recognizes that. I think James is this great pastoral counsel here. He comes to the congregation. He says, hey, is there anybody who's weary or sick? Anybody without strength? Anybody who's being pressed in? If there's anybody like that there, I I got a word for you. He says, pray. He says, pray as a congregation, as a people. Look specifically in verse 14. As he speaks to us about praying for the broken in our midst. See, we recognize the broken in our midst. And then we are to pray for the broken in our midst. Verse 14, he says, to those who are weary, to those who are sick, he says, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The emphasis in this passage is on prayer. Don't miss it. In every verse that we've read this morning, pray or prayer can be found. It is because prayer is the central emphasis of James. That is, when you find someone who is broken, prayer is something that makes a difference. Now, we shouldn't be surprised. James... Well, at least according to history, the nickname of James was Camel Knees. You'd love to carry that one around with you, right? His nickname, according to church history, was Camel Knees. Because he was noted for going into the temple and praying. And he prayed so much, it was as though his knees had become calloused like that of the camel who would bend his knees. It doesn't surprise us that this James, this great pastor, writes to this church and he says, hey, we, we got to get serious about prayer. We got to pray for the broken. He says specifically to those who were sick, he said, let those individuals call for the elders of the church, literally to make this decisive call to the leadership of the church. Now, within the New Testament, there are three words that describe those who I believe are ministers or pastors. There's the word which speaks to the bishop or the overseer. And no, I don't want you to start calling me Bishop Reggie. Do not want you to start doing that at all. But the bishop or the overseer. The second word is the word which speaks of the elder. It doesn't speak to age, but rather to maturity in life. The third is the word which gives us our term pastor. In Acts chapter 20, all three of those words are used in the same sense to describe the same function. I do believe that today as we think about these words, we are referring to those who are ministers... Or pastors. So listen to what he says. If you've got an issue, you call the church leadership. You call together 
the ministers, the pastors. Now, I do believe deacons can pray as well. I didn't get a very good reception here in the sanctuary when I said that. But I believe deacons could pray as well. You could, I, I don't think James is necessarily saying that the deacons can't come or anything else. I think actually James would encourage prayer from everybody. But what he's specifically saying is you need to let the corporate body know. Why? Because it is very important that the corporate body collectively is praying for you. And that the leadership can come to pray for you. He said, let them pray in a decisive fashion. The tenses of these verses suggest urgency and decisiveness. That they come with a sense of urgency and they are praying with this decisive, confident posture. And he says, anoint them with oil. This has probably been one of the most misunderstood, sometimes abused, misused passages in the church's life. When you think about this anointing with oil, let me try to speak to what James is saying here. There are two words for anoint in the New Testament. Two words. One word speaks to being assigned. For example, when Jesus said that he had been anointed to preach the good news... That word meant to be assigned or to be appointed to preach the good news. It's kind of the idea as the king was anointed or appointed or assigned. There's another word for anointing, the word that's used here, that speaks just to the practical application of all. For example, when the Good Samaritan finds this beaten guy, this guy that's left for dead. He takes him. He is going to place him at the end. And what does he do? It says that he bandages him and then he anoints him or he pours upon him this wine and oil. Wine being this cleansing type of product. Olive oil, especially in the day of Israel, in the New Testament days, was this like healing type of balm that was placed upon you. Later on, Herod the Great will lie in a bath of oil as they try to bring healing to his life. It was a soothing, healing type of process. Listen to me. This is not calling for some ritualistic ceremony. That's not what he's calling for. As a matter of fact, this is a very intimate setting. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But it's not some ritualistic, yes, the oil, and you've done this, and thus you got healing. That's not what it is. It is the idea that you pray and that you touch them, you, you help them, you soothe their pain. Some individuals, Dr. Bobby has said, this is like saying, pray for them and give them the medicine as well. I thought some of you say amen. You got a couple of doctors here. You better be saying it. That they listen to pray and give them, soothe them, touch them. This word is always used to speak to the practical pouring out of helping and in this case touching those who are broken again this is not to be a ritualistic setting it's not some great sacrament at this point this is just being there with the broken coming over them praying for them attempting to soothe them and help them 
as they are experiencing such difficulty in their lives. I've said before, I love being a pastor. I said it just a few weeks ago. I love the different tasks that I have. I love to preach. I hope that you can tell. When I, I love to be able to take God's Word and break it apart in the words and, and just declare it. I, I love that. I love that I can be there in these intimate moments for families as they experience brokenness in their lives. I love that God has given me the privilege to be able to stand by a bedside. And listen, this is when I talk about the intimacy of it, of standing by a bedside of someone who is so sick, someone who is going through some of the worst days of their lives, and knowing that I can pray, knowing that prayer makes a difference, that I can come with a family to help comfort them and pray for them. And I'll tell you, when I'm there, almost always, I believe in the power of not only presence, but touch. I love to be able to take their hands and pray for them. You know, Dr. Joe Cawthon, who used to teach at New Orleans, was one of the greatest, I think, pastoral minds and really instructing pastors of our day. I mean, he did more for pastoral ministry in the Southern Baptist Convention in our seminaries than I think anybody else. Now, I may be a little bit biased because of New Orleans Seminary, and I never had Dr. Cawthon, but I've read his books, and, and I know the guys that have been trained. What a great work he did. The one thing that I have disagreed with him through the years on is this. As he wrote his pastoral ministry book, he talked about the pastor and how you are to go into the hospital room and how you're to see different ones and how you are to make sure that you do not come in contact with the patient at all. That was written during a different day, I understand, but BK, I just, I can't be there without holding their hand. The intimacy of the moment. James said, you call them. This wasn't even a hospital. Most likely these were people that were in their homes and the elders would come around and they would try to soothe them through this application of all their physical and they would pray for them. Yesterday, as I prepared for this message, I got a couple of calls. Went here to the local hospital and made a visit Went out to Simsboro to see one of our members who's about to make a transition to be with the Lord. We stood around, we talked, we hugged. There were some tears that were shed. But thanks be to God, we could come to Him in a victorious prayer, knowing that we have life, knowing that we have victory over not just death, hell, and the grave, but we've got victory over disease. We've got victory over the brokenness of this world. We've got victory over everything when it comes down to it because of the power of Christ and the power of the resurrection. We prayed together. I think we need to pray for one another. I think we need to call each other by name. 
And we know individuals. I was sitting there a moment ago and God was just speaking as the choir was singing. And I, I began just a listing of some of the folks that I know. Whether it's Tom McIntyre down in Houston right now or, or, or Glenn Grigsby. We ought to be praying that God would speak to them. Whether it's Pam Morris here in the hospital or Wanda Lemke over in Shreveport. Whether it's Randy Fraser's mom or Randy himself as he's getting ready for surgery this week. Whether it's Miss Manette as she's about to go and have some tests and some consultations. Whether it's Paula Weeks, John Ann's sister. Whether it's Stephen Roebuck, my friend, going through issues. Whether it's Bill Crow or Don McCullen who both are about to see Christ face to face. Whether it's the Mosley family or the Cole family who've just experienced death this week. We need to be praying for the broken. The broken, are they are all around us. And we need to lift them up because this is the truth that I want to leave you with. The Lord is the one who heals the broken in our midst. It is not the prayer. It is not the oil. It is the Lord Himself who brings healing to us. This is what He says. He says, as you do this in the person of the Lord, the name of the Lord, verse 15, the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. Notice the emphasis, the Lord will raise him up. The Lord is the one who provides restoration. Our faith is not in some method or technique. Our faith is in the Lord himself. And we ought to come to him in faith, trusting. It is the prayer of faith that we believe in God. We do not waver. We believe and we trust in him. James had demonstrated it this way in chapter 1. He had said, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. James had already said, Be focused in faith. You trust. You believe. Know that God can work. Does he still heal? Absolutely, yes. May I say to you, all healing is from God. Every act of healing, whether it be through natural treatments or spiritual blessing, whatever it is, God is the one who brings healing. I'm grateful for our doctors. And I saw Dr. Bobby this morning. I saw Dr. Mack. I saw many of you who are in the medical profession. I'm so thankful that God can use you because he can. But the ultimate healer, the ultimate physician is God himself. And God is the one who can bring physical healing. God is the one who can bring spiritual healing. God is the one that can bring relational healing. God is the one that can heal the broken. And we must believe that. We must trust. We must trust him. I love the way Fanny Crosby... The blind songwriter, how she put this. She said, Chords that were broken will vibrate once more when God brings healing. Chords that were broken. There are many of us that our chords have been broken before, but we know through the life and the renewing presence of God in our lives, we can vibrate. We can make a melody Once again, we pray to the one that can do only what he can do. Not only does he bring physical healing, he can bring spiritual healing, as I said. Now, verse 
15 says, and if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. It doesn't mean that every physical issue we've had is the cause of a specific sin. That's not what he's saying. I will say to you that some physical illnesses are caused by sin. Read what Paul says to the Corinthian church as he spoke to them about the Lord's Supper and how they had not approached it correctly. He's not saying that every physical issue is because of specific sin that's happened in your life. Jesus even reminded us of the blind man who'd been blind since birth. Jesus had told the Pharisees that had a faulty theology that it wasn't because of him or his parents. In so many ways, we see physical illness and sickness because we live in a sin-sick, fallen world. But if we have sin, if there is something in our lives, he can bring healing to that as well, what James says. And then you go and you confess those to each other, he says, that you may experience that continued healing. We pray in faith, and let me just say this, we pray in God's will. Because that's really what faith is, isn't it? I mean, faith is saying, God, you've got the power, there's no doubt. But faith is also saying, God, we believe you to act in our best interest. And God, you have a will, and it's not just ours. Even though there are times we want to see this happen, God, it is about your will, not my will be done. God, we want to pray that way. The example that's given in verses 17 and 18 of Elijah, for example, says Elijah is able to pray, and all of a sudden the heavens are closed up, and they're closed for over three years. When Elijah prays again, the rain comes. You have an abundance of crops. Elijah prayed according to God's will. He knew what God was going to do. And he prayed in accord to that will. I believe God had already said, hey, you go to Ahab and you make this announcement. He knew what was going to happen. He prayed according to God's will. We've got to pray according to God's will. And there comes a time for the believer that we are prepared for an ultimate healing that he gives. Because get this for the believer. When God calls us home, no longer do we have to experience the frailties and the weakness of this flesh. No longer do we have to see the pain. No longer do we have to have the oxygen applied or the treatments given. At some point, listen, in His timing and His will, there's a moment where God comes and He calls His child home. And what a day that's, that is. And just as I prayed yesterday, I prayed specifically for a transition that God would grant a transition to one of our members who had served so faithfully for so long, Brother Don McCullen. I prayed, God, just take him. Go ahead. Because that in and of itself is healing. My friends, when we come, we pray for the broken.
knowing that God in His will can bring healing however He wants. As James said, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The word that's used there is the word that we get our English word energy from. The prayer of the righteous man, those who are seeking him, those who are committed to his purpose and will, it has power behind it. It has strength to accomplish his purposes. I used this quote the other day. I, I say it again. Whatever God can do, prayer can do. And we come to him in prayer, praying for the broken. We believe that God has the power to bring healing. And when we pray, we know God can use that vehicle of expression to bring healing to people's lives. Cords that were broken, they vibrate once again. I say to you, we see the broken around us. We need to see them. Not just physical, but relational, financial, spiritual, emotional. We ought to pray for the broken. And we ought to recognize that our Lord God is the one who brings healing in his wings. He is Jehovah Rapha, Yahweh Rapha, the Lord who heals. And today, may we experience his healing and may our congregation, our family know the healing presence of God. Let's pray. Father. Thank you for being the God who heals. Thank you for your presence, which provides for us comfort, literally, Lord, a balm to our soul. And God, this morning, you've heard me mention names. There are so many more, so many more. Father, may we recognize the brokenness that's here within these walls, even right now. Those who are out in this, this community, the brokenness of our church family that's scattered now in different hospitals and different places. And God, I pray today that you would show your healing power that you would help us as the people of God to minister, to pray, to do whatever you have called us to do to help individuals walk through these moments. God, we need to see your healing. We pray for it today. We need to see your power. Manifest it today. And may we ever give you the glory that you alone deserve. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.